This is Death Watch, the monthly podcast where we eulogize one of the greats who has recently passed, in this case extremely recently passed, by watching some of their work uh, that we weren't previously familiar with. My name is Matt Brown. And I am Matthew Price. Uh, we are recording this episode on Tuesday, the 16th of July, 2019, and it's going to be in your feed uh, one week from this Friday on the 26th. Today we'll be looking at uh, legendary character actor and lunatic, uh, the man who was already a one-person rest-in-peace pun uh, who somehow managed to inspire a whole Twitter account entirely based on which celebrities he had personally outlived, which seemed uh, highly short-sighted a few days ago, Rip Torn, who died just last week at the age of 88. Once again, this is not every time we do this show, but this is one of the times when it was like immediately. Of course. Immediately. Of course. Like, yes, yeah, this is the gonna one. we're going to do Rip Torn? Come we're, on. We're going to do every... We may not do every great leading man or leading woman actor, but we're going to do every great character. If, if God if, forbid, if you have anything to say about it, yeah. if God forbid something happens to Brian Dennehy, we are, we are <laughs> right all on Dennehy, guys. Over it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Death Watch Year Three, Dennehy, or, or worse, what if fucking Hackman? Oh, he's a goner. Oh, that's going to no. happen any day, man. I know, any and, day, and that show is coming. Oh, All right. Okay. No, I mean, that's the weird thing about doing this show is just your mind starts going through, oh, boy, some very important people yeah. are about to kick it. Yeah. Um, so I watched uh, his 1969 film, Coming Apart. Uh, oh, interesting. And I'll be discussing okay. that a little bit later All on. Right, yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, what did you watch? I watched, uh, I initially started out trying to watch the movie Payday because that was the one that sort of on Twitter ever, everywhere people started talking about. And it was uh, proved difficult, elusive to find. So... I had to take a right turn, and I was so glad I did because I watched the 1987 Walter Hill movie Extreme Prejudice. Oh, nice! Which is so good. I have always wanted. I remember that trailer from when I was a kid and that title, and I was like, I yeah, I've always wanted to see that. It's like there's always one more Walter Hill movie. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, this is so. Good. Anyway, we'll yeah. talk more, but like, yeah. I can't wait to talk about this movie. Right on. Yeah. Well, before we get uh, get to that, we need to do roll call. We do. Yeah. Is this? Oh, I'm sorry. So, is this the time on the show? Right at the uh, when I do roll call at the top of the show, we do roll call. Okay, asked and answered. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So I should. So I should do it anytime. Now. All right. You know, okay. you know what? Actually, do it spontaneously in like 15 <laughs> minutes. All right. In my, I just want to point out that I was rehearsing that asked and answered uh, of all the way over here. I was yeah, just tickled to be able to yeah, say it's it. It's very all funny. Right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So roll call. Actually, pretty eventful month. Certainly, uh, we had kind of a, 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 you know, a good patch of people not passing. Yeah, around. it was a nice time in all of our we, lives. Right after we did our last show, the first person that I noticed, and this is. I'll talk about this a little bit, is the novelist Judith Krantz. Okay. For those not familiar with Judith Krantz, she she was, I would say, the preeminent trashy novelist of the 1970s and 80s. Mm -hmm. She wrote uh, probably her most famous book is Scruples, which is kind of like if you took the plot of Mamma Mia and played it as a revenge fantasy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, even more so. Um, and a book... I didn't read Scruples, but I did read several others, uh, several other of her books, including a book called Mistral's Daughter, which I would, uh, it is fair to say, sharing something so, uh, quite personal here, that Mistral's Daughter, for me, represents 
basically the book that was my sexual awakening. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So a very important book to me. And to all uh, of us. Because it, it, it details in beautiful prose, you know, quite a lot of sexy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly remember reading that book going, uh-oh. <laughs> so, I have an engorged member? Yeah. So... You know, there was a lot of like kissing until your lips were bruised and mm-hmm. things like that. Like, really, it was something. So, mm-hmm. so she, I, I would say that at a certain point in my life, 10, 11, 12 years old, I would have called her like my favorite novelist. Of course. Um, uh, if you like, and I am a huge fan of the trashy novel, I mm-hmm. think that's a very important contribution to the 20th and 21st century uh, sort of writing oeuvre. Boy, she's the one. She okay. just, her stuff is great. Um, Next, we have Dave Bartholomew, who uh, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, co-wrote all of Fats Domino's hits. Mm. Wrote "I'm Walking," wrote "Ain't That a Shame," uh, uh, wow. "Blueberry Hill," like that. So a, a giant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Edith Scobe, who was or Edith Scobe, uh, the actress who starred in "Eyes Without a Face," and then subsequently reprised the role in "Holy Motors." Oh yeah, it's the same actress, right? Yeah. yeah. Holy Motors, which is a movie that I saw literally right before I should have seen it, so that every in-joke and reference he made, right over uh, my head. Like, not a one. Didn't yeah. get a one. Mm-hmm. Right? Later, watched all those movies, was like, oh, he's making a point. Hmm. All right. Um, again, personal for me, but very important, character actor Max Wright, who is primarily known as the dad from Elf. Holy shit, that yes. guy died? Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh my yes. God. Also was one of the leads on the only season of Misfits of Science, which is my absolute favorite show growing up. Holy um, shit. Was on a crackerjack show with Dabney Coleman before Alf called Buffalo Bill, where he uh-huh. played the manager of a radio station. And really, if you can ever find uh, episodes of Buffalo Bill, it is the meanest, nastiest, greatest 80s sitcom. It's like so much better than Night Court or any of like the really cutting ones that are great. It's that times a thousand. It's wow. great. Um, Man, I, had no, I I guess I haven't been listening to enough. See you next Wednesday. I assume they did a whole episode about this. Yeah, no, how much yeah. fun they make yeah. with Max Wright. Anyway, Max Wright, who I think is a really lovely actor and just terrific. I mean, I certainly Alf. enjoyed him in Alf. I don't recall yeah. him from much else, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, another notable character actor, Billy Drago, passed away this month. Billy Drago, probably best known for playing Frank Nitti in The Untouchables, has that that great, remember that guy? Has that great angular face and those squinty eyes and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So he passed away. Um, And man, yeah, it was was a rough month for for character actors. All right. Um, uh, Somebody who is sort of a behind the scenes hero, I guess, Ben Barinholtz. Uh, Is that Ike Barinholtz's dad? No. uh, Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) Anyway, he was a film... Started as a film promoter, became a producer and distributor. He he's essentially credited with creating the concept of the midnight movie with El Topo. Ah. So he's the person that said we should run this movie only at midnights. Hmm. Um, but then went on to either release or produce Eraserhead, Blood Simple, Martin, Miller's Crossing, Raising Arizona, Requiem for a Dream, and Dawn of the Dead. Wow. Yeah. So again, one of these linchpin guys in mm-hmm. the background, um, who just great taste, you know, discovered. I mean, basically encouraged David Lynch to make features and you know, like that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mi Shun, who's a Korean actress who unfortunately committed suicide oh, yeah, this month. Yeah. yeah. Um, the great 
late, great Artie Johnson, who was one of the originals on Laugh-In, right? Does it seem like a lot of Laugh-In people have been dying lately? Well, they're that age, yeah. right? I, you know, they were all the same age. So, yeah. But Ruth Buzzy just keeps on going. Mm-hmm. She's fine. Every, guys, Ruth Buzzy is fine. Um, yeah, but Artie Johnson, who was the one who's his sort of like signature thing was very interesting. Oh, that's would, that guy. That's that guy. Wow. Yeah. He played a lot of like German sort of like a do shtick and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Mad Magazine. Yeah. Died this month. Sure did. Consider uh, doing the show about it. Had yeah. no idea how irony died off. several years ago, but of Mad course. Magazine yeah. died this month. I mean, it's. Yeah. Pretty goddamn impressive that that thing was still going at all. Like, you know, we did one of our early episodes about it, Playboy. It's like, boy, yeah. two magazines that were very specific to when they were created and yet somehow managed to transcend that and just keep yeah. going. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Mad is interesting because it, it sort of it, it laid fallow for a bit and then got revived and then eventually was killed. Yeah. And I think ultimately it's you know that we are just in a different time we're also not seeing you know serialized novels anymore like there's yeah. many things we're not seeing yeah um i think if i could point to anything it would be the almost incessant uh um uh, onslaught of people who think they're funny on twitter yeah <laughs> as really replacing like if you just sort of scroll through twitter you will see a thousand things that would have primarily been mad magazine you know, parodies and articles and commentaries and things are now just everybody saying yeah. them all the time, desperately grasping for your attention for five seconds. Yeah. Um, and I always get it. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. And we all participate in it. And so it's just different time. I, no, I know. I think the the decision to, you know, not kill the brand altogether, but to turn it into a repackaging thing where they'll take things across time and link them together based on themes and you know, actually could provide some really interesting mm. um, sort of w- retrospective ways of looking through that content. And there's so much stuff mm-hmm. that I, you know, I, I think it's it's a it's it's a mixed blessing. But sure. I do I do think it's a shame that we aren't going to have that voice. Sure. Um, Lee Iacocca, yeah, passed away. That guy's dead. He. It may not seem like a lot. Does it seem like a lot to you, Lee Iacocca? I mean, is that a, is that an impactful person for you? Not particularly, but besides just sort of the you know, the Chrysler stuff. I guess <laughs> you know. I, I think you know. I I read that that the Iacocca book, the mm-hmm. biography that he wrote, sort of right after saving Chrysler. It's an exceptionally good memoir. He's an exceptionally good. Now clearly co-written by someone, but mm-hmm. his his ability to sort of encapsulate his life is very compelling mm-hmm. so i do remember thinking like this is this is a really um interesting life to be to be looking at mm-hmm. um i i think it is interesting to note that he that he saved two of the three major you know american uh car manufacturers several times over he he absolutely we're at a stage now where ford says they don't make cars anymore except for the mustang right right so that's how lasting the idea of the Mustang, of inventing this type of car that we call the pony car is. It's an extremely important thing in terms of the mm-hmm. business of building cars. Um, but he he actually saved Chrysler twice um, because first he, he quote-unquote, invented the minivan. Really what he did was he had this K car that was a piece of shit, and he was like, I could put a van on top of this piece of shit, and mm-hmm. now people will buy it. So that was pretty amazing. Yep. And again, that's a whole category of car that did not exist until he made it up. But the other thing that people 
may not realize is that he also uh, is the only person that believed in buying Jeep. Right. And Jeep is currently the only thing keeping Fiat Chrysler a- afloat. Yeah. It's the only profitable division. Yeah, Fiat it's Chrysler. a wild idea to he take a bought, military vehicle and be like, well, yeah, this is a consumer. It was American product. Motors, right? Yeah. Which so it had already become like a consumer thing, but American Motors was a huge money loser. Yeah. <laughs> like huge. It was a terrible investment. Mm-hmm. And he still was like, nope, that's a good thing. We're going to we're going to make money on that. Sure. So so I think as a business and and product guy, he's an interesting guy to me. Mm-hmm. Um a person that we flirted and nearly did this show about, Paul mm-hmm. Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, who starred in a million things, but, uh, you know, across 110th Street, was one of the three in the Greek chorus in uh, in Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. uh, Escape from Alcatraz, which he's great in that. Yeah, that. That was the one I wanted to watch. Oh, man. Uh, but then, you know, continued, and I think you could argue that he sort of had almost passed into obscurity until Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. and then it kind of re-kick-started his career because then he did uh, The Station Agent, um, uh, and and he sort of had a big resurgence after Do the Right Thing. Yep. Um, but he also, I was just doing some reading on him. He had a he had a um, a minor part in Anderson tapes. His first credit is in Midnight Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, he he played uh, Huddy Ledbetter's brother in um, Gordon Parks, who directed Shaft. Yeah. Did a film about the life of Leadbelly, and he was the second lead in that. Um, so really, like a pretty great career, right? And just a, one of these actors that like immediately gravitas. You you just whatever he says, you are in. Yeah, you're listening. Yeah. Um, uh, Joao Gil, uh, Gilberto, who was the king of Bossa Nova, probably most famous for Girl from Ipanema, um, uh, but many many more. Really, you know, essentially started not just the Bossa Nova craze of the '60s, but the idea of world music mm. uh, comes through him. So Felicuti and hundred thousand millions of of uh, perf- musical performers from around the world that are now quite well known in North America that maybe you know would have taken longer sure to get well known. Um, someone who again important to me uh, growing up Martin Sharnan, who uh, Broadway lyricist and director uh, start was originally one of the original Jets in West Side Story in the stage production the original stage production uh, went on to write shows including the. Uh, the libretto and book for Annie. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, also, the director of the original National Lampoon show, <laughs> which is basically the precursor to SNL and everything else. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that, uh, again, sort of like a hero guy to me. Um, Ross Perot. Yeah, that was wild. Uh, I forgot about Ross Perot. And then yeah, suddenly I remembered him. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Remember how he uh, saved America from George Bush Sr. and later, like, he, he basically is the reason that Clinton kept getting reelected. Yep. He would just siphon off just enough votes from the right. Yeah. <laughs> we need another one. Yeah. Yeah. We need another. That's right. We need another compelling, but not too compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Freddie Jones, actor, uh, favorite of, of Lynch, of David Lynch. Hmm. Was the keeper in The Elephant Man. Right. Was in Dune and Wild at Heart. Uh, father of Toby Jones. Really? Which I did not know. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. All right. Um, and also originated the role of the older actor in The Dresser on stage with Tom Courtney. Hmm. So the role that eventually Albert Finney played. Right. Um, he, he created that, that uh, part. Um, uh, in another, even more throwback to British uh, um, actors, Denise Nickerson, who was Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yikes! <laughs> Is we that a good are yikes? Old. Yeah. Well, she was in her seventies <laughs> or eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, another actress, Valentina Cortez, uh, or Cortese, um, worked from about 1941 to 1993. Both worked both sides of the Atlantic. Um, was in Thieves' Highway for Jules da- uh, Dassin. Was in Juliet of the Spirits. Was in Day for Night. Uh, and also was one of the leads in my personal favorite disaster movie, The Island Volcano Eruption Spectacular, When Time Ran Out, <laughs> which is, if you are a fan of 70s disaster movies, this is Paul Newman on an island going, that volcano is going to blow! And then it does, And right? it does. Oh, and wow. they're on helicopters, and it's it's bananas. Well, I got to see that. That is really fun. 1979. All right. Um, was also in Baron Munchausen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, lead singer for the Persuasions, Jerry Lawson. Um, uh, Fernando Jose, uh, this is a, a geeky one, but one I kind of enjoyed. Fernando Jose Corby Corbato uh, was a computer scientist in the 60s. Um, among other things he did, he created the, the idea that for a shared server, people should have passwords. Whoa. Yeah, that's kind of a neat concept, eh? <laughs> He's the reason we all have to remember so many passwords. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and that's before uh, Post-it notes were invented, so how the fuck that did is he write right. it down? Yes, I don't yeah. know. But in the 60s, he wow. was like, well, if we're all going to dial into this one computer, yeah, we should we're going to have... need to have security. Yeah. Um, he also uh, created, he worked on the, the operating system that essentially was the inspiration for Unix, which we still use today. That's what OS X and all kinds of stuff is based on Unix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Multics. It, it was the first uh, OS to feature things like a hierarchical file system, um, access control lists, uh, dynamic linking, which is what the internet is, um, and, and was able to be reconfigured online. Um, basically, he created the core of every modern operating system. Son of a bitch. Yeah, so that was sort of neat. Uh, and then just a few more just in the last few days. So Elie Wiesel, yeah. uh, author of Night, Nobel Prize winning, mm-hmm. uh, writer, speaker, um, Holocaust survivor, and I- inspirational figure, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, his copy of Night is sitting on my uh, bedside table right now, ready, yep. waiting to be read. Was just there anyway, but mm-hmm. I, you know, by coincidence. Uh, Richard Carter, the uh, Aussie character actor, super w- quite well known in Australia. I would say well known to us because his last on screen role was the bullet farmer in Fury Road. What? Yes. The bullet farmer died. Yes. 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 What? He has the greatest speech in Fury Road. I mean, I wouldn't know if I call it the greatest speech. It's pretty there's good. A lot of very good speech. There are, in that but film. he is yeah, when he's blind and he's yeah. got the guns and he's riding at her. That oh my god! Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Charles Levin, who was a character actor in the '80s and '90s, and you can't look at his name an '80s sitcom that you like. A different world. He was in that. <laughs> name another one. <laughs> The Golden Girls. He yeah. was oh, in that. Yeah, yeah. Love Family the Ties. Girl. He yeah. was yeah. in that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Growing Pains. He was in that. All right. Uh, he best known. He he had a great part in um, in Spinal Tap. He played the guy that owned Disc and Dat Records I, in I, the records when they go to the record store. I still haven't seen that. Uh, but also, I think probably the thing most well known. What do you have not seen? Spinal <laughs> no, I have not. You know. No. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, 
Um, the thing you probably would know is he was the moil with the shaky hand in the Seinfeld oh, episode, The Briss. That you know, guy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. He went missing in Oregon more than a month ago, and mm. they just found his remains. And they also found his car that had his dog's remains in it. Ew. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? That's awful. So he went off the road somewhere in rural Oregon, couldn't dig his car out, I guess left the dog in the car to try to get help and fell down a hill and died. Mm -hmm. And then the dog starved to death in the car. It was like a month. Wow. Yeah. So not how you'd... Not how go. you'd think. No, it's not what you want. Not for the moil? Yeah. For the moil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He gave my finger a bruise. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like when Desmond Llewellyn Q from James Bond died, you know, and he was like, you get the news that he's dead, and he, he was like 90 years yeah, old. Yeah, and you're like, okay. It's like, okay, yeah. no, he was in a car crash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how many more years did Desmond what? Llewellyn have in him, for God's yeah. sake? Um, the last one, and uh, I don't know the names of the other people that are involved in this. I feel badly for that, but because I didn't have time to research it on the way over here. But um, Sadie Roberts-Joseph, who was uh, a, a woman, one of the protesters at Ferguson, and founded the African American History Museum uh, in um, Louisiana. Um, she was murdered and found in her car, and she is the seventh Ferguson protester to be murdered. Mm. So no one has come up with any unifying theory around this. Clearly there is one. Yeah. Someone, or some ones, or some organization, mm -hmm. are targeting prominent black activists and murdering them yeah. right now in the United States, uh, which is a shitty way to leave the roll call. Mm -hmm. But um, all I can think is, you know, we'll we'll all get to find out in season 31 of Mindhunter. Yeah, probably. Like that's there's when, when are we going to oh, know God. this conspiracy is eventually going to be uncovered for and, sure. And boy, will that be uh, a dark and horrifying thing. Mm -hmm. And but just to know that somehow this is happening yeah. in now, right? Yeah. You did anyway. forget one notable. Um, oh, I apologize. To, to finish on a slightly lighter note. Please, which is, please, uh, dig me out of this Brooklyn fucking Nine hole. Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans. Oh, Cheddar. Oh, Cheddar. Cheddar oh, got deader. We, we Cheddar. I don't Cheddar got deader? I don't even remember what Cheddar's <laughs> real name is. I don't even care. Cheddar's dead. Cheddar. Uh, Cheddar's like, dead, yeah, baby. Yeah, Cheddar's dead. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's that's roll call. Let's talk about Rip Torn. Uh, I have some biographical sure. data Please. on Rip Torn. So he was born in 1931 as Elmore Rule Torn Jr., and he was known thereafter as Rip. His dad was, of course, Elmore Rule Torn Sr. He was known as Tiger, Rip and Tiger. It's kind of weird. Uh, his dad promoted the consumption of black-eyed peas, particularly as a custom on New Year's Day. That was his deal. He was an economist and an agriculturist. Uh, his mother, his mother is Sissy Spacek's aunt. Rip Torn is Sissy Spacek's cousin. Didn't know that till I was did doing. not know that either. Yeah, so Torn, Were they ever in a film together? No, but apparently they lived in New York around the same time. And Spacek wow. Torn helped Spacek get into the business. She's and, a fair bit and, piece younger than him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And role in uh, the actor studio and so forth. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Torn studied at uh, U of T. What? Nope. University of Texas. Thank you. Not, I was like, when was not, that? Not the good U of T. <laughs> not our U of T. Uh, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, you know. After university, uh, he was an he was a, an MP, military police in the United States Army. Oh, that I believe. Yeah. Oh, me he would have been great. It would have been terrific at it. Yeah, for sure. What are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he moves to Hollywood, got his first uh, role in the film Baby Doll, 1956, directed by Ilya Kazan. Mm -hmm. He then enrolls in the Actors Studio over there, studies under Lee Strasberg, 
Um, he's, you know, thereafter basically a char- character actor in a variety of films, both independent and, and studio. He uh, was apparently Jack Nicholson's role in Easy Rider written for him. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. I did know that. Nicholson yeah. was supposed to just produce the yeah. film or yeah. whatever. Because right? he wasn't really an actor. Yeah. 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 Um, there course, was there was trouble. There was trouble. I think we all know what the trouble was. We'll talk about that I'll more in there. a minute. I'll get there. Yeah, uh, trouble. Torn was married uh, three times. And he has six children. His uh, second wife was the actress Geraldine Page. Uh, they were together till her death in 1987. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, Torn was nominated for six consecutive Emmys for playing Artie on the uh, Larry Sanders show. He won once. Uh, he became a uh, cranky old wacko at that point in films like uh, Men in Black and uh, and Dodgeball. Great end of his career. In 2010, he was arrested, as yes. many of you will recall, for trying to break into a bank in Lakeville, Connecticut, yes. which he may or may not have believed was his own home. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's pretty I mean, good story. it's terrible, but yeah. it's amazing. Uh, Torn had a temper. He described it as a kind of irascibility. Uh, in 1970, while making Maidstone, he struck director Norman Mailer in the head with a hammer. That's pretty irascible. Um, I mean, I guess, but I, I got to give anyone a pass that hits Norman Mailer. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> and that's and, all. All that is, is good taste. Yeah. And he may or may not have pulled a knife on Dennis Hopper, which is how he got thrown off Easy Rider. Now, that's he sued whoever published that story and won. Saying, saying that it Hopper didn't happen? pulled the knife on him. Oh, wow. So Also equally believable. I mean, that's just it. I don't yeah. know who I like in a knife fight, Hopper Honestly, versus Torn. I don't know who I like as remembering that incident correctly. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Like it's Is either of them what I would call a reliable narrator at Indeed. that point? Like, really? Indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the bio information. You want to go? The only thing that, and I've forgotten this, so uh, I apologize, but there was something about, he had a, a famous roommate that he also uh, auditioned at the actor's studio with. Oh, I didn't see and, that in the notes. And, uh, and I apologize because uh, I, I can find it. But Boy, um, Do you want me to vamp? Should I vamp? No, don't. Yeah, vamp for a minute. Well, yeah. why don't I get into my, my movie? Sure. Because I watched uh, Coming Apart, which for some reason, and I don't know why this is, probably just because I you know do a lot of, uh, drinking, I thought I owned, right? So I, as soon as he died, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Yes, I got it. Yes, Burt Reynolds. He, oh, he was Burt Reynolds' roommate, and he said to the actor studio, "If you don't take Burt Reynolds, you can't have me." Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, that's a weird Death Watch coincidence. Yeah. We did Burt Reynolds in uh, what? No. Anyway, October? I, I just, I knew I'd seen that story, so I wanted yeah. to bring it up. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, no. So I thought I owned this movie. So as soon as he died, I was like, I'm going to watch that. Then I spent the next seven days tearing my apartment apart, Aww. trying to find <laughs> coming apart. So I was coming apart. So a and bit. so was the apartment. And so was the apartment. Yeah. Uh, turns out, Your no, I do cat. not own this DVD. I don't know why I thought I did. Why did you think you? did? I don't because I had a very vivid image of the DVD uh, cover in my head, which was correct. And I thought that a friend of mine who recently offloaded a bunch of his, his DVDs to me, yeah. that it was in that box. Um, but I, I guess I just made that connection up. So anyway, I, I watched a, uh, a free copy of uh, Coming Apart that's on the, uh, on the internet. Not the best way to watch it, but I did watch it. And you know what? For a movie that's entirely surveillance footage, that turned out to be fine. Um, it's what now? It's Yeah. So Coming Apart is... All set in a psychiatrist's office slash lounge where he is illicitly 
videotaping his wow. conversations and sexual encounters with a variety of female How partners. How has someone not remade this movie? Yeah, well, I mean... What a almost good idea that is. Here's the thing. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it as a piece of filmmaking, it's obviously a very good idea. It is certainly one of those movies where it is more interesting as a concept than to actually watch an hour and 50 minutes of from largely one camera angle of this uh, right. you know, disintegrating psychiatrist right. sort of right. abusing. It's the original. Patients. It's the original uh, Blumhouse production. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, like he's very good. Like, I mean, of is course, he the psychiatrist? He's the psychiatrist. So it's it's a leading. Role uh, for yeah, him. it's his leading role. That's one okay. of the reasons I want to do it. Right. Um. So yeah, he's it's a leading role for him, and he's you know extremely natural. He's naked a lot. So are the women. Um, what kind of shape is he in? He seemed fine. Yeah. You know, seemed fine. Was it still skinny, ripped torn? It was. It was definitely skinny, ripped torn. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wiry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, kind of hard to get a handle on because there's not a lot of shape to it except for this guy, you know, again, having kind of right. a bit it, of a mental breakdown Is it basically time. like an episodic yeah. sort of disintegration? Yeah, like yeah. a variety of people come in. Right, and, and he gets worse and worse. He gets worse and worse. Yeah, okay. And there's an orgy. And there's a lot of uh, all right. You yeah. have you have my attention. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's not you know, it's not. It, there were reviews at the time that were like, "This is an attempt to elevate uh, porn into an art form." I'm like, I mean, I, either you guys are watching really shitty porn. Oh well, they were. Or no, no, they yeah. were. Yeah, okay, they were. Right. It, uh, porn in 1968. That was not good porn. Yeah. So, yeah. but this is not you know by any means you know explicit or right. triple X right. or any of that. It's right. just although apparently it was X rated because of all the sexual content. Right. Um, but yeah, like I mean, it was it was interesting to watch. Like for me, like my whole awareness of this guy came from Larry Sanders and onward. So I you that's know, it so was that's fascinating. To watch yeah. something from so much yeah. further before. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do, I do think that Larry Sanders represents a a, a, a quite a, a severe turn in his career. Actually, it's yeah. not it's not so much Larry Sanders. It's defending your life. Hmm. Defending your life is really the 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 part where he com, where he goes from basically being a, a dramatic character actor to a comedian. Right. Um, and he never goes back mm -hmm. really. And I think. There's good and bad about that. But I think if you came in at Larry Sanders or Defending Your Life or Dodgeball, you would have a very different idea of who that guy was and what yeah. he was capable of than if you had come in 20 years earlier. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting yeah. moment in film. It's not yeah. something I would ever want to watch again for my own pleasure because it's, you know, sure. it just sort of goes by. Yeah. Um, did you watch Freddy Got Fingered at any point in your life? I have never watched it, but it's sitting at home. I rented it, and I will be watching it this week because okay. I feel like I should. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of the nadir or the zenith <laughs> of him in the comedy stuff, yeah. right? But I, I do think, like, my impression of him prior to Defending Your Life is that he was in the same category with somebody like uh, Carl Malden or E.G. Marshall. Yeah. He was like, you know what I mean? He was like a, a very solid dramatic second person. Almost like what Leslie Nielsen was before before, Zach, before Zucker got yeah. hold of him, yeah. right? So so Sorry uh, from before police squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, no cuz he's also in airplane. Uh, uh right. Yeah, anyway, yeah. doesn't matter. Um right. but the point being, yeah, like he he played heavies really well. Mm -hmm. He could play so, sort of like second leads. Rarely played the lead after sort of the early 70s cuz he just I my suspicion is that he was too hard to work with. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, you know, I don't know if this is fair or not, but it certainly plays into the movie that I watched and most of the other films. Like, I, Rip Torn always has an edge that is almost too scary. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he's... There's a darkness there. There's a real darkness yeah, to that guy, yeah, um, yeah. which I assume is due to his actual, you know, life. But, like, he's... 
not the kindly old, you know, old dude role. Like he's the oh, da- granddad's gonna beat me up role. You know, like that. And and that's, I I think that doesn't lead to doing leads. Yeah, it's almost. Well. I mean, in a way, that commitment is so hard to come by and so valuable. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, there's no rip torn performance that I would say hits a false note. I think it's really interesting yeah. to watch him because he's incredibly precise and absolutely commits. Yep. I almost feel like he would have been a better stage actor because it's so so full mm-hmm. what he's doing, right? Yeah. And he's he's not able to kind of scale it down for the screen sometimes. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it's you know it's it's wonderful to watch and you every so i purposely when i couldn't see payday i said well i i really actually want to watch something where he's supporting sure cuz i feel like that's actually his strength is to carry the story forward in a way um so i so and also it was a walter hill movie i had never seen and mm-hmm. i was like that's never a bad thing i'm going to watch extreme prejudice yeah so tell me about extreme prejudice so from the from the point of view of Rip Torn's involvement in it, he actually is only in about the first 30 minutes of the movie, and he really only has four scenes, and he absolutely dominates the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he has four scenes. Every scene is note perfect. He immediately sets up not just uh, a whole relationship with the main character played by Nick Nolte, but a whole backstory with that character. You feel the weight of it. He, uh, spoiler alert, he is, his character is murdered mm-hmm. uh, at about the 30 minute mark to With kind of- With extreme prejudice? Yes. Oh, wow. To kind of like turn the plot, right? He So he ultimately is a sacrificed character to kind of give Nolte's character more motivation. But man, those scenes that he's got are great. They're really economical, not, not very, not super written. Mm-hmm. So it's just stuff he's doing. There's a great, they're in Nolte's office. Nolte is a, um, a, a Texas Ranger. And he is the local sheriff, and I guess has been the local sheriff, local law enforcement in the same town. Nolte's this Texas Ranger in the town where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And they're talking, and it sort of comes out that Nolte's father died quite young. And it's very clear that the Rip Torn character is kind of like a father figure uh, to and has been to him growing up and uh, continues to be. And um, you've already seen them kind of work together and you've seen them bring down bad guys and all kinds of other stuff. And then there's just this moment where they're talking about their childhoods and Nolte's like, we ran around, we, we were with girls, we smoked some of that loco weed. <laughs> and, and, uh, and there's this moment and then like Rip Torn just goes, uh, and I didn't catch you? <laughs> and it's just like that's everything yeah. that's the whole relationship mm. right and it's just great and it's so it's it's perfect this perfect gem but let me tell you about this movie yeah please <laughs> no, tell me about the film so Nick Nolte and, and Rip Torn are in it yeah who's the bad guy opposing Nick Nolte Powers Booth Powers Booth <laughs> how are you gonna, in a white suit how are you gonna do better than powers booth yeah. well you're gonna throw michael ironside sure. into that mix it's the mid 80s you gotta have some Ironside. Yeah. and then you're gonna have the woman that comes between powers booth and nick nolte and that's gonna be maria conchita alonzo in the 1980s fantastic and that is pretty amazing and then oh i don't know let's throw in rip torn let's throw in william forsyth and clancy brown because why <laughs> not guys. and at that point in the credits i'm like this might be better than twister <laughs> <laughs> And then they wait a thro- second. And then they whoa. Well, William Forsythe and Clancy Brown. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then Matt Mulhern 
and then Larry B. Scott from from Revenge of the, of the Nerds. <laughs> and I'm like, we're not done. And then they're like, oh, you know what? Screw it. Let's throw in Tiny Lister. Nice. <laughs> nice. Right? And we're like, we're not done. Let's throw in Mickey Jones. Like, I'm like, what is happening? It's this crazy cast that just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you get to this movie. So story by Milius. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm in all the yeah. way. It's a modern day Western with uh, that has, here's what it has in it. It has three impressive gunfights, including one at the end that has, by my count, about, I don't know, 30 uh, simultaneous planes of action in it, where wow. he is cross-cutting between like all kinds of people who are changing allegiances during the gunfight mm -hmm. and moving on each other and churning and changing. It has a heist, a full-on fucking bank robbery in the middle of the movie. I'm like, this is a great movie. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's really, right. really terrific. Yeah. Uh, maybe Jeff watched that. Maybe my favorite discovery of this year. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm all riled up now. I have no time. No no available time at all. No, I get it. But I will yeah. I will try I'm to I'm so watch glad that. to yeah. have, have gotten I've the wanted chance. to see that since I was like twelve years old. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. It does not disappoint. And Nolte has never I will say this. This is the apex of Nolte's handsomeness mm. and trim fitness. This is, he looks, I've never seen him look this good cool. in a movie. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. All right, folks, you can get to us on uh, Twitter or on Letterboxd at Death Watch Pod if you've got any comments about this episode. We'd sure love to hear them. Thank you to uh, Dave Nandies, who uh, did follow us on Letterboxd. Hey, thanks, Dave. Requested in the... Uh, in the last episode, um, we will be back in August with uh, our next episode. We don't know who that person is because we always try to make it up as close to the recording date as possible uh, to keep things fresh for you. So we'll be back then unless one of us dies. Mm -hmm.